Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice on money, quarantine judgment, other people's vibes, plastic surgery, and more with my very special guest, Beth Piggins. Stay tuned. Matters. Beth Pickens is the author of the book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. Her forthcoming survival guide for artists will be out with Chronicle Books in the spring of 2021. Beth is an arts consultant, a Capricorn, and an esteemed friend and MVP to the show. Beth joined producer Ponyo and I via Zoom to answer your advice questions about judgment, corona kosher, writing, other people's vibes, social media, plastic surgery, finances, and more. Now, please enjoy my talk with very special guest, Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. It's a privilege and an honor. It's always a pleasure having you here. Pleasure. We have some advice questions that came in just for you, and uh, I wanted to know if you will help me answer them. But first, I want to know, can you tell me something that came up recently is, what is what do you think is the meanest thing you can say to somebody <laughs> in a relationship? I think one of the meanest things you can say to anybody is when they're having any kind of crisis or problem or they're struggling, they're in any kind of pain, and to say to respond to it with, I don't know what to tell you. I have hated that my entire life. I think it's so hopeless and mean, and it it just sounds like the end of the road. I just don't like it. I I don't like I don't say it. I don't like when people say it. And so I was alarmed to hear that you said that to someone you care about recently. Well, it was about food, to be fair. It was like, I was like, here's the food choice. And they were like, I don't like that food choice. And I said, well, here's another food choice. And then they said, I don't like that one either. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So... It's, it's not the most harmful use of the, of the sentence, but it's still a harming sentence. I don't like being told I don't know what to tell you. It's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> it's so mean. Something I don't like is when people, uh, when something goes wrong and someone says, oh, we just had a miscommunication. Feels like a way of taking zero responsibility <laughs> for their part in something is to say, oh, we just had a miscommunication. It's rarely used in a time when we did just have a miscommunication. Right, 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 right. Or is it like when you think when when um, whenever I think I'm right and you think you're right and I say, you may be right and you know full well I don't believe that? Well, that's the nice way. That's like the, the way of just being just walking away from an altercation saying, you might be right. You may be right. But you and I know that when either of us says that, we're just silently saying, I'm right, but I'm just going to let you have this moment. <laughs> Seems like you need it more. I don't need this win as much as you do. (laughs) I have a friend and her mom has, her mom has problems. And her, my friend, her response to her mom now is, wow, that's crazy. Because her mom will say things to her that are genuinely, she's like, you know, I threw my, I broke my neck. And then this sexy guy from work gave me a massage and we had sex and now it's better. And my friend's like, wow, that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. It's just a way of like being honest. And right. just showing up and listening to the thing they're saying. 
verbal de-escalation. We need so many verbal de-escalation tools, ways to exit conversations, way to deflect, to detour. Just there's so many verbal landmines surrounding us. Um, Beth Higgins, do you have any blanket advice or things that you are doing right now as we gear up for election season? Oh, boy. Well, I took the summer, most, most of the summer off of Instagram. I don't know. I might renew it for another season. I have some, I, I use Instagram primarily as a marketing tool. That is what it exists for for me. It is just marketing my services and my books. And I have some services and a book I need to market starting this fall. But I don't want to be on Instagram so much. This is turning into a different thing. That's about me and Instagram. But yes, my blanket advice is you listener may want to reduce your internet intake, whatever that means for you. You may want to just look at it and, and play around and try a week of eliminating this one thing or really reducing how frequently you use something or where any social media apps are kept. Just try it out. Um, other election season news. Oh, boy. It might be more advantageous for you to focus on your vote and on getting out the vote for strangers than for people you know. You might be more effective trying to increase voting outcomes in, in strangers than trying to get your dad or your weird aunt or your roommate or whoever doesn't vote or doesn't vote the way you want them to. Trying to control their outcomes might be very disappointing and your, your, um, your good labor and good faith might be best in service in other states through through um, organizing movements for candidates or causes or just parties. I see, I see. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot because as everyone knows, I went down a, a Trump, a teachable Trump moment road with my own family after the 2016 election, before and after. And it didn't do a lot except make me feel frustrated but make me feel like I did say my piece. I mean, it did a lot. I think it shaved months off of your life, if I remember correctly from the time. <laughs> yeah, I just want people to think about, like, get squared away with your vote. First, take care of your own house. Make sure you are registered to vote. Make sure your mail-in um, voter ballot is updated to where you live. Like, take care of your shit first. Then see how you can get involved in getting out the vote in other places through organizations that are doing that good work rather than spinning your wheels with your racist uncle or your asshole, whoever, whoever's either not voting or not voting the way you want them to. Seriously, you, you might, they might hear it better from a stranger and you might be more useful telling a stranger. Mm -hmm. I like that. And one more thing I want to put in here, which I know we've talked about before on the podcast, but just, just to reduce the overall Instagram clutter, it's something that you and Ann Friedman both do, which is not to post about something until you've actually done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she and I talk about this a lot, like um, sort of the compulsory Instagram activism or virtue signaling or, you know, white people spinning out about trying to control what other people think of them by saying, I did this, I did this, I've got you do this, you do this. I don't talk about, I generally don't talk about things unless I'm doing them or have done them. But I remember Anne telling me when we were talking about sort of the existential dread of 
Instagram and social movements. And she had this wisdom of, I don't talk about doing an action on Instagram until it's something I myself have already done. And then I decide to share it like, Hey, I just did this thing. It was simple. Or I did this thing and it was worth it. And now I'm sharing it with you. My new policy friends, controversial, it might be for some. Now I'm just not telling you what I do. Cause I just decided goodwill and acts of service and activism don't count. If I'm talking about on social media for me, I don't care what you do, but for me, doesn't count if I talk about it on social media. It's between me and my higher power. Mm. I feel both ways. I feel like there's things that I do that I don't feel like I need a cookie for. I'm not looking. I don't need a cookie. I need to know, like, am I doing this because I want to do it? Am I doing it to get the cookie of people being like, you did good. But there are some things that I do that I'm like, that was simple. I would like to share it with other people. So if they have literally two minutes, which they do because they're scrolling on Instagram, they could make this one phone call that could change someone's life. Or if you're looking for a place to donate because, you know, the donation links have kind of gone cold. Just so you know, here's a GoFundMe that's still not met that you could still help people with. I think that's really wise. I think that's wise to think about your motivation before you're sharing something. Like, what's my motivation? Is it because I want to control what you think of me? Is it because I want attention? Is it because I want you to think something of me? Or is it because I want somebody to know about this? And just question that for yourself. Dear Sagittarian Matters, how do you handle the weird emotional state where you respect someone as a friend, but despise some of their personal decisions? I speak about friends traveling to other countries during the corona pandemic because they need a vacation so bad. Don't we all? Signed, Grimm in Germany. Ooh. Is this a brother's Grimm? Is this one of the brothers Grimm <laughs> writing to us from Germany? From beyond the Grimm grave? Um, okay. One of, my, one of the funniest, most upsetting things about the pandemic that we'll get to read about years and years and years after the pandemic's over, is the fact that no two people have the same exact list of do's and don'ts for the pandemic. Everybody has a different list and no two people, even if they're married or um, identical twins or live in the same household, have the same overlap. It's just a fact that 2020 is all about judging and feeling judged. <laughs> that is so much about this experience. Um, trying to control other people and judging other people while living in a climate of misinformation and physical threat. So, of course, like what we do is we we carve out our little world of this is my safe island. This is what's okay. And if everybody does the same thing, then I'm in agreement with them. And if they don't, then I perceive their choices to be either too extreme or not extreme enough. And then we're like having that same experience with a million other people doing the same thing. So, First of all, I just want to say you're just having, I think, a really normal pandemic experience of judging other people's actions. So when we're judging other people's actions, the best, the first thing to do is turn the focus back on yourself. Because really, it's just none of our business what other people are doing. Unless they live with you and you're concerned about... Um, like contact with a virus and what that could mean for you or anyone else in your household. It's just none of your business. And that's really hard because again, 2020 is this year of judging and being judged. And I have the same experience too. I think I can't believe this person's doing blah, blah, blah. And that person's doing blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure they're doing the same thing to me. That is just the human experience right now. But truly it's just none of my business. All I can do is control my actions 
And that's it. I can't even control my spouse's actions. And I can't control what she thinks I should be doing or not doing. In the absence of having control, which really is just how we're always living, but it's so heightened right now, all you can do is put the focus on yourself. If this friend going on vacation, that bugs you, you got to just think about, is this harming me in any way? I might not like it, but is it actually putting me any kind of physical health threat? If not, do not pass go. You have to move on to a different thing because it will harm you. When we resent other people, like the wisdom speaks, it's us taking a pill and hoping somebody else dies. We're drinking poisoning, hoping it will harm them. So you're pissed about their vacation. And meanwhile, they're having a great time. Who knows? Maybe they're having a terrible time. Seems like a hard time to have a vacation in another country. But when I'm judging other people's actions, it's keeping me from living my life. Because I'm like giving them all this real estate in my head. I'm preoccupied with what they're doing. Meanwhile, I'm not doing, I'm not living because I'm just thinking about what I think they're doing. So advice seeker, I advise you to put the focus back on yourself and just turn the beat around to something that feels good. That's for your life. I really, wait, I realize I can record this. I really agree with that, Beth Pickens. Um, you res- the weird emotional state where you respect someone as a friend who despises their personal decisions. You, I think you either need to compartmentalize or let it go. Just let it go and just know that you're not doing it perfectly either. Just like Beth Pickens said. Um, you might not do, be doing it perfectly by somebody else's standards. And if you need to take, I mean, if you need to avoid them while you work this out on your own, while you untangle this, you could lovingly take a minute to yourself to just get it out of your system, whatever that means for you. I'm, I mean, I have family members who are like, we're going to restaurants, we're on a plane, we're doing all this. And I'm like, oh, it's stuff that, but I've just really had to let it go because it's not doing anything except for making me more anxious. Yeah, we have no control over other people. We only have our, our own boundaries. So for example, my father, who will never hear this podcast, has this delusion that he's going to come visit me. I live in California. He lives in North Carolina. He has this delusion that he's going to come see me in January or February. And I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? You're not coming to California. You're over 60. Like, you're not coming to California. You will get coronavirus immediately. And, or you could bring it here. So that's a boundary. That's where I actually have some say over something. Can you come to my house? No, you can't. Will I see you outside? Sure. Can you imagine? My dad flies here and I put him in a tent out front. But really, it's just our responsibility, our jurisdiction ends outside of the imaginary hula hoop encircling our bodies. Um, so when I feel really stuck in judgment, which I'm human, that happens all the time. Uh, so a trick I learned along the way was just to pray for somebody that I'm judging. Just pray that they're okay and they get everything they want and need. If I'm really in judgment like that, I will pray for the things I want, but I'll pray for those things for them. And I'm not. We're not talking... J- Jesus Christ here. No, I'm Jewish. And even, you know, there's no, this is not, can you imagine somebody tunes in? They're like, I didn't know Sagittarian Matters was a Christian podcast. Welcome to the Christian Faith Network. (laughs) From the fish (laughs) FM. (laughs) Whatever the, whatever the prayer thing, you know, whether you're thinking of like a blue whale in the ocean, whether you're thinking of just the enormous sky full of stars as like an image of the universe, whether you're thinking of your dog, you can pray to the unknown. Praying to the unknown. Praying to reality. Sometimes reality is somebody's higher power. Whatever your conception of something that feels bigger than you or just greater than you. 
And you can pray to Jesus Christ if you so choose. But your, your wish for them. you can, I mean, if you want to, it actually sounds even weirder to be like, I'm just making a lot of wishes for my friends. <laughs> Nicole George is over here praying you get this cartooning award. You are not a cartoonist, but she hopes you get it. <laughs> I, Dear Lord, I hope that Beth Pickens gets nominated for an Eisner this year. After all of her hard work, it would really mean a lot to her. Thank you. Yeah. Um, dear Sagittarius Matters, I'm a very empathetic person, especially when it comes to emotional empathy. I'm super sensitive to negative energies and emotions, which also includes anxieties. I can walk into a room and pick up on negativity straight away, and it can consume and overwhelm me. And during these troubling times, it's especially difficult. Do you have any advice on how to help block or shield myself so I don't take on other people's negative worries and anxieties? From Anxious in Amsterdam. Ugh. Well, you're in the city of weed, Amsterdam. You can, no. Um, yeah, there's so many ways to do this. Some of them skew more witchy. Some of them skew more um, psychological. Some of them skew other which ways. My first recommendation is Al-Anon, Al-Anon, Al-Anon. If you're a listener who um, feels things other people feel too intensely, um, if you have a hard time sort of determining where another person's experience and feelings end and where yours begin, it just means you might benefit from Al-Anon, a place where you learn how to detach, how to uh, have empathy and sympathy for suffering and yet not suffer yourself, right? Like how not to get wrapped up in what's happening with another person. So I think Al-Anon is a really good one. And then another thing, if you don't already, you might just need more alone time than you're currently getting. You might be a person who sort of processes pain and anxiety by yourself and not with people. Because being with people is about being with other people's stuff. And right now, anxiety, depression, and trauma are super activated in 100,000% of the people you're interacting with. So you're going to be getting more than maybe you normally do. So you might just need more alone recovery time. But my order of advice is one, try Al-Anon, two, more alone time. Turning it over to you, Mary Potter. Um, I, sorry, let me look at this question again. I, I've had to make the realization in the past couple years, I've had to actually like really just be honest with myself that I'm very affected by other people's vibe, other people's feeling. doesn't matter how much therapy I've had, how many like mantras I have in my head, I'm still affected by other people's energy. And so I have to be selective about whose energy I'm around. I grew up in an, in an unsafe place full of chaos and emotional chaos and all kinds of things that made it so when I was a kid I had to grow extra antenna to read the room to see if I was safe and then to try to make moves to make myself safe by acting a certain way or becoming invisible or caretaking somebody else or blah 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 so I could be safe as an adult those things don't serve me that well they're still there those antenna are still there but they don't need to be there so whatever you need to do you know if, if a group like Al-Anon works for you if you're on therapy or Whatever practice works for you just to reassure yourself that you can put yourself in safe situations now as an adult. You can say thank you to these antenna for working so hard for you for so long, but they can just take a break and that you are now in safe spaces. You're putting yourself in safe situations. You don't need to do that stuff anymore to be safe. And then just keep the focus on yourself. In those moments where you're spinning out because somebody else has bad vibes, just like if you can repeat to yourself, keep the focus on yourself what do you actually need in that moment to actually nourish you? Does it mean leaving? Does it mean just taking a walk for five minutes, pretending like you're having a, an asthma attack? Just, you know, 
enacting an entire, I'm, I'm having a stroke. I got to go. And then 10 minutes later coming back in because you just had to take a walk around the block. Doesn't mean you need a snack. What does it mean? You get to be comfortable. You get to be gentle with yourself. That's it. I want to add one more, and that is death acceptance practice, I think is also an answer for just about anything. Um, doing death acceptance practices helps me reduce just about all anxieties and holding on to things. I highly recommend reading books about death and dying and death acceptance. There is like an old joke about a codependent that's like on a codependent's deathbed, they talk about their, somebody else's regrets. Is that what it is? <laughs> or it's like instead of going down their life of their regrets, they talk about their regrets about somebody else's life. Just think, like, if this is your one life to live, I actually read that there's an asteroid coming near the Earth near Election Day. Great timing. <laughs> I don't think it's going to hit the Earth, but it gave me a little bit of an existential moment of death acceptance where I was like, oh, if I'm going to die in early November, listeners, it's not, you're not going to die. If I'm going to die in early November, what do I want this next, you know, month and a half to look like? Am I doing everything I wanted to do to make myself as happy as I can, given the circumstances of coronavirus? You know, just think about that. If an asteroid is going to hit the earth, do you want to spend your time here obsessing over this other person's problem or trying to fix something that you can't fix? I also sometimes try to remember how I would react if somebody tried to control me or fix my problem for me and how, just how much that doesn't work. Today's episode is brought to you by Maria Turner Carney, Emily Helmus, Grace Lambert, Shoshana Ruth Wachter, Christy Herod, Mary Pinson, Michelle Lemoyne, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million via PayPal, whatever it is, that's your business, to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared, that's just her voice. We have two questions about grants and unemployment right now. Oh. Let's do the fun one first. Okay. Dear Sagittarian Matters, should I spend my unemployment on an eye lift? All the women in my family have eyelids that sag until their vision is obscured. If I wait another 20 years, I can probably get it covered by insurance, but I want to do it now so I can continue to enjoy my face and the delights of eye makeup. From Quandary in Quebec. Oh. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Q. I, at first I have to answer this from a financial point of view because I don't have all the, I don't have all the quantitative data. I would, I will say, I, I don't want you to spend money on an unnecessary anything right now unless you have a surplus saved up. So I don't know. It depends on what you need your unemployment for. Some people are collecting unemployment right now and it's just adding to a surplus, which is awesome. And they have plenty of money and that's really great. Other people have very uncertain near-term financial situations, especially after, well, I guess the federal expanded unemployment already ended and they didn't reach any kind of an agreement. 
It depends. Okay, how about this? I will give you circumstances in which you have my blessing, which I don't know if you care about my blessing. If you have at least six months of your basic expenses covered, like if between now and February, all of your core expenses are covered through savings, yes, you have the best pickings, Sagittarian Matters, Capricorn Matters, um, seal of approval, blessing for the eye lift. Um, and if you don't have that money, I really want you to just hang on to this money. There, the eye lift will be coming soon. We'll be in it. We'll be in a different situation month by month, and in six months, who knows what will be going on? But um, if you can hold out till after the pandemic, do so. I don't think you should spend unemployment on an eye lift right now because I don't think anybody should be going to any doctor right now. That's not completely necessary because you're putting yourself and other people at risk. Um, you're putting the doctor at risk. You're putting everyone that works in the doctor's office in risk. And then they're also, you're accepting a risk. And the eye lift would be wonder. Just get some tape for right now. Just get some tape. You know, RuPaul uses that tape that just like, basically like the back of her neck has like a binder clip on it. Because you just, you take all your skin and you pull it back and you just tape it or cinch it basically. And that's, I mean, you know, listener, I want to get my teeth cleaned. I'm not doing that because there's a pandemic going on. I'm not judging. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying like, there are, there are, you know, it's to me, it's like, it's unemployment money. So you probably need that money for a rainy day because the, it seems like the world's going to be in a huge recession or at least America. Yeah. I want you to have the eye lift too. I want everyone to have the exact faces and bodies they want. I myself would love to pummel my forehead with Botox every day if I could. Um, but just hang on. Like this might be a 2021 procedure, not a 2021. Going back to that earlier question of that nobody has the same yeses and nos during coronavirus. I won't get haircuts. I have plenty of friends who get haircuts and it's to each person. They have to make their own choices, but I want a haircut so bad. It is, it is hurting my brain to stare at my tiny self on zoom all day, every day for my job and see my disgusting hair. I just want a haircut. I'm not getting one yet. I will in 21. I want to tell you quickly that I, well, two things. One, we have a mutual friend who referred to it as COVID kosher. And now everybody has different COVID kosher rules. It's true. Um, Beth, I know that you were in a text thread where you asked people, what are you judging people for during COVID? And what do you think people are judging you for? Oh, yeah. It's so funny because everybody has different, you know, it's just like people who I love will do things that I'm like scandalized by. And maybe I'm doing things that scandalize other people. We all are because we're just humans navigating this experience. You know, like I, I have friends who are on the most extreme end of quarantining, um, like super, super intense. And people are scandalized by that. And then I know people, I have friends who are doing things that seem really risky, really, really risky. And I'm, you know, it's just like scandal, scandal, scandal. But guess what? That's giving us plenty to think about and talk about. What a blessing. Dear Sagittarius Matters, uh, how do I deal with artist grants and unemployment? Like if I get a $1,000 grant, will I lose unemployment for just that week or forever? From Taxed in Toledo. Mm, I don't actually know the answer to this. And so I don't even want to weigh in because I don't want to give you incorrect information. And I know it's really frustrating to have to ask questions about unemployment to the unemployment office, but because I don't know, and I'm not sure if this is state by state, my impression is it's income that was not earned, but 
all income is taxable income. So I don't know. The short answer is I don't know. Take to the internet, ask people where you live in the state you're in. Does anyone know? You might just field the question to a tax preparer in your state if you can't actually get a hold of anybody at the unemployment office. Oh yeah, a tax preparer usually knows a lot of things. I, I cannot recommend to people enough, especially self-employed people, artists, get a tax preparer, get somebody who knows how to write stuff off. It will save you money. You'll spend, you gotta spend money to save money. You spend a little money to get a tax preparer and then they're going to do such a good job that probably you're not going to get audited and you're going to learn what things you can and cannot write off so you can spend more money. Hi, Nicole. I have a comics question. Um, my name is Deborah, and I've been working on a graphic memoir for about three years now about growing up gay and Mormon in the early 1980s. And it's written as a collection of short story comics all based on real stuff that really happened, like the way memoirs typically go. Now that I'm getting really close to being finished with the book, I'm concerned about the content. I believe that it would be received and considered to be racist in some of the stories. So my question is, um, because I don't want to injure or traumatize anyone, but I really want to include these stories the way they happened, should I acknowledge the racism in the form of an author's note or just let the work speak for itself? Or should I leave out the stories that people would consider racist altogether? Uh, I Currently, I am an, definitely an active anti-racist working on acknowledging and correcting the ways that white supremacy has given me privilege. So that is not a, a problem for me to stand up with. So I hope you can maybe give me some insights about what you think you might do in this uh, situation. Thank you so much. Love your show. Love Ponyo. Love you, love you. Uh, Deborah from Boise. It's hard to know without having any examples, because writing about racism is not racist. Writing about the constructs that we live in and the things that happen within them is not racist per se. I mean, any situation can be written in a racist way and any situation can be written in a critically thinking anti-racist way. So it's hard to know because I don't know what the content is. But since the question is sort of how to proceed, um, I think getting some feedback from other white people who do anti-racist work who are either writers themselves or editors or um, just really want to help you get your book out in the world, that might be helpful. It might be helpful to have people say like, oh, I see what you're trying to do here. And I think if you just change it very slightly, you'll accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish. Um, writing racist characters as they happen, that's not racist. You're capturing and documenting something. And in memoir, I mean, obviously it's coming from one person's point of view, so there's no objectionable truth. But when you're describing situations that happen, and if they happen in America, they're bound to have a lot of racism baked in. I don't think that's the problem. So not knowing enough of the nuance of what this person's documenting, it's hard to say. But I would say proceeding wise I'll go with my original answer of how about just get some feedback from a few white anti-racist allies in your life who are also writers there's lots of them what do you think Nicole well I think that but I think also if you want to get the perspective of people of color you could pay some people as sensitivity readers there's such a thing called sensitivity readers which is people who are employed often by a publisher to read through something to see if it's problematic and to give that kind of feedback. And so you personally, certainly through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter has a lot of, you know, there's just literary communities 
in all of these, if you just asked like the AWP community, or if you went on like a message board on Facebook for women in comics, and you asked them, hey, you know, I would like to pay a sensitivity reader to give my book a read through, see who shows up for that. I, I'm saying this so that you get some different perspectives, as opposed to you putting this labor onto the back of a friend who's a person of color, who just out of nowhere is, you know, like, ah, Personally, for me, I guess I always just ask myself, why is it in here? Does it need to be in here? When I'm thinking about re-traumatizing, like there's people in my family that I've had horrifying racial, racist things happen with, but I don't want to repeat that language or add to that. I feel, I don't know, there's something I feel as a white person that for me personally, adding to that language, adding to those images I just feel like that reinforces those things. And I think that there's other people that can express that point of view better than me. Like black people talking about racism, like people of color, like all the like canon of literature and books and movies that have already shown us that there's racist people. Um, so for me, that's the thing that feels re-traumatizing or like, I just don't want to add to that. Even if it's somebody's like, I don't know, just like, I don't, like I have had students before that are well-meaning straight white guys that want to show a character's bad by having them say a bunch of racist, homophobic stuff. And they're like, that's how you can tell that person's bad. But when I'm reading it as a gay person, I'm like, it looks like you just got a boner from writing the word fag so big. Like, it just looks like you, and it's also a caricature of that person. And it's not showing like the, the kinds of racism that like are more sneaky and you know, a more insidious, just having a caricature of a redneck being like, faggot, blah, 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 blah. So I just, I always ask them like, why is this person in here? What do they represent? Do they have to say this language that's going to like maybe take a gay person out of the book for a second? Or can they say it a different way? It's not journalism. You don't have to report things exactly as they happened. You're getting the feeling of the thing. So that's what I would, that's what I would tell a student. It's just to like inquire with themselves, why are they doing it? Why is it necessary? What are they trying to put across? Is this a language they have to use? Okay, have they asked some, you know, white anti-racist people in their life? Have they asked some people that are able to give them that read as a person of color? I just asked them to let me know when, when do you feel unconsidered in the book? Which was a really helpful question for me to gather. Like, when do you feel unconsidered by the author in this book? Mm. I think that's a really good I think that's a really good question. And again, I was writing self-help. It's a very different situation because I'm seeking to help all the readers. <laughs> and then, and with your work of art, you might not be. That might not be what you're setting out to do. But I think if you take some version of all this advice because we are so, I think this is all really useful and good. <laughs> I think you'll be on the right track. We may be right. We may be crazy, but it may just be a lunatic you're looking for. Yeah, you don't need to no need to be a shock jock. No. I, I I remember I was watching a television show recently, season one of a show that I really, really like, and season one had a really gross dude involved in the writing, and then he disappears, I think, after season one. He no longer was writing on it. And in season one, a young white character says the N-word, and it felt like in that moment I was like, Oh yeah, that dude put this in there. It just felt like that gross white guy was like oh I want we're gonna shock and it took me out and it devalued the artwork for me in that moment I was like this this was there for him not for the audience 
I, and it's also, it's just, I know I already said this, but just racism, especially right now, white people's anti-racist work is not to like scream bad, like not to scream hateful hate language in the street is not most people's anti-racist work. It's the insidious things. It's the ways that you're enacting white supremacy or benefiting from it that maybe you haven't addressed head on before. And so the more caricatures I see of racist people, the easier it is for white people to be like, that's not me. So I'm doing a good job. I'm not doing a good job if I'm not looking any deeper than that. So if you can provide with your art, if you want to show someone's racist, if you can provide in your art a way for people to look deeper and that's the work you want to do, wonderful. But if you want it to just be like that person in a truck, you know, with a Confederate flag is bad and I don't have that. So I'm good. Eh, you're not that good. Beth Pickens, do you have any final advice for listeners about how to combat just um, COVID, lethargy, inertia, um, maybe just fatigue, COVID fatigue? Should we all go to Disney World? Right. What's What do we do? A group, maybe a big Sagittarian Matter-sponsored group trip. I, I had the weirdest pang this past week where I was like, God, I want to go to Disneyland so bad. I want to go to a restaurant. I had a real, like, missing the public moment this past week where I was, like, craving going with my one of my best friends. We go on a hike with my dogs a couple times a week. And I was like, God, I wish we could, like, go out for lunch now. That would be so fun. Um, yes. Okay. So I want to tell you, listeners, that many people in my different professional and personal spheres are reporting and indicating inertia, fatigue, lack of desire to do things. I'm hearing this from a lot of different artists. And some of this, I think, is a little cyclical. A lot of it's pandemic, for sure. But some of it is also, it's, you know, in North America, it's the dog days of summer. Late August, in my 10 years of doing my consulting practice, this is a time of year where it's really hard for people to sort of motivate toward the fall. And then Labor Day happens or around late August, early September, and people are like, oh shit, life's still happening. And they start bombarding me with ideas for things they want to do. So if you're finding yourself in the real, some real inertia right now, creatively and, and in other parts of your life, just Give yourself a little bit of break. Let yourself off the hook a little bit. A little bit's dog days of summer. It's very hot. If you're a Californian and maybe other parts of the country, you're also living through the apocalyptic fire season, which every year sends Californians into sort of um, a fiery hellscape externally and internally. Um, and But this will pass, just like the pandemic will pass. This, the, the, this season of inertia will pass. Um, I think... When you find yourself really stuck and you don't know how to get out of whatever it is, I want you to locate the smallest step you can take that feels safe but is still movement. Mm. Let's, Let's make, make the, the wise sound. Mm. <laughs> and do you have any? What do you have any money tips for people during this time? Oh, I love money tips. I love money tips. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just want you to, I want you to hang on to as much cash as you possibly can. And that might mean getting on a spending plan just for the rest of the calendar year. That means actually documenting precisely how much money you're spending a month and on what, and looking for a couple of categories that you can turn down a little and reroute that money to savings. Um, I'd like to give you, listener, a very special Sagittarian Matters financial challenge. 
It's uh, currently August 23rd when we're recording this. So we've got we've got a few months in the, in the year left. I want you to identify one financial goal you would like to achieve between now and the end of the calendar year. One financial goal. Um, it might be paying off something. It might be saving a certain amount. But just pick one goal and then make a plan of how you're going to get to it. So make it really manageable. Make it small. Make it possible. But maybe you should share it, share it with us on social media and tell us how sharing matters on Instagram what your financial goal is going to be because we would like to know. Oh, I would love to know. I'm going to tell you my financial goal, which you know personally is I started the Dave Ramsey. If you want to talk about God-loving podcasts, go to Dave Ramsey. The Dave Ramsey Debt Snowball, which is where you write down on a piece of paper all your debts from smallest to biggest, and then you dedicate, you pay the minimum on everything, but you dedicate all your extra money to just killing the smallest one on there. So then you feel that sense of completion. Maybe you get something after that, a prize. You get to run around the backyard screaming, I'm almost debt-free! Then you go to the next smallest one on the list and on and on until you've gotten rid of all your debts. And I have some debts from somebody in my life getting her eyeball removed. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But um, somebody I know has a lot of expensive ophthalmology bills. And just plugging away at the smallest debt from that is giving me a great sense of accomplishment. So listeners, if you need, if you need, you know, if you need a goal from the Beth Pickens Sagittarius Matters Financial Challenge... May I suggest paying off your smallest debt? That's mine. I love that one. I think that's a really great one. I've done that before in my life. And paying off any kind of debt, getting rid of a bill feels so good. It feels so liberating. And it reminds you that you actually can have some control and say over your financial life. Because so many times people can feel like they're powerless over it. It restores some power. Yeah. And something about having a structure, having a plan, making it a challenge, it feels good. Listeners, if you if you achieve this goal, you can make a little sign for yourself for the end of the year and then send it to us, a photo of yourself with your little sign that says, I did blank. We would be so happy to post that. Oh, yeah. It would bring us a lot of pandemic joy. As a Cap, as someone with a lot of Capricorn in my chart, as a Capricorn, as someone with a lot of Capricorn in my chart, I would really like, I would get excited seeing that from listeners. Me too. Thank you for being on the podcast. I, it's, you know, this, this is almost the end of the year, the Jewish year. It's really good for me to get to sort of connect with you in this emotional way and with the listeners. I'm always grateful. I love this podcast. We love you right back. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. Hi listeners, it's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, Go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics. For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyo's Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. 
patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges.